should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my constant friend is he his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears, oh, by the path he leads me. But one step I can see His eyes on the sparrow And I know He watches me His eyes on the sparrow And I know I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, by his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Oh
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's an appropriate word for today and for every day. My name is Hal Brady, and I am pleased that you've joined me for this very special hour. For the next few minutes, we're going to turn this studio into a house of worship. And I pray that we'll worship God together. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the cataracts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me, as with a deadly wound in my body. My adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's have a word of prayer before I begin. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. Joseph Brazon author of the Joshua series, has written a book that he calls My Struggle with Faith. Here is his testimony. My crisis occurred after I had gone into the seminary. During my first year there, I felt such peace. God was more intimate than ever, and I would spend time alone just thinking about God and feeling the wonderful closeness of a divine presence. That lasted for about a year. Then in my sophomore year, it came to a devastating end. I could no longer feel God's presence. My heart had turned cold and empty. I became depressed and frightened. With whom could I share this agony, or who could even understand what I was going through? Well, one person who could understand what he was going through was this psalmist in Psalm 42. He certainly had his best days behind him. At least he thought that. He remembered the time when he had been at the center of worship in Jerusalem and in the temple of God. At this point, though, he is literally remembering this with joy, but the tears are flowing down his face. You see, now he has leprosy or another illness, or he's caught up in exile, and he feels that he's one that God has forsaken. And then there his enemies are. They are the ones that are taunting him and jeering him and saying, Where is your God? These enemies felt like that his problem was due to God, his sin before God. 
they felt that way. And this psalmist didn't have any reason to doubt them. Now, there are times when the feeling of God's absence comes all over us. Without doubt, we know time of companionship and joy, every one of us. But there are also times when we face a new situation or a new difficulty or a new illness, and we begin to wonder about God's presence. I remember one day walking around Glen Memorial Church in Atlanta with Bishop Bevel Jones. He knew I was preparing to go to Dallas to become the minister of First Methodist Church there. I was going to be facing a very difficult situation where the pastor had been accused of trying to kill his wife. As we walked around, Bishop Jones said to me, he said, how are there going to be days in your ministry when you're going to get on your knees and say, God, are you really there? Certainly that happened to me in Dallas, but I remember that happened to me before when I was a young minister. After I'd had the funeral of a little five-year-old girl who died of bone cancer, I went through the agony of all that with her family. And after the funeral, we opened the casket again, and we went through it all again. And when I got back to the parsonage, I was wrenched, absolutely. And I got on my knees, and in fact, I did say, Lord, are you really there? Well, the interesting thing as far as that is concerned is I wouldn't have been on my knees if I hadn't have felt God was there, so I take comfort in that. But there are times in all of our lives when this absence of God just comes over us for no logical reason. I'm sure you remember the story that occurred years ago when this teacher of physics was leading the class, and then when the class ended for a recess, he wrote on the board these words, God is nowhere. After the recess, when the students came back in, they looked at the board, the same words were there, but they had been rearranged. This time they said, God is now here. I'm not sure that story really happened. It sounds too pat, but it does express a reality of your life and mine. We are a contradiction of God is nowhere. God is now here. Sometimes we have a marvelous experience of God, and other times we want a sign of him. What I want to do for a few minutes is talk to you about what we can do in those times of the absence of God. First of all, our sense of God's absence may be due to our lack of thirst. Our lack of thirst. Listen again to these words. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I become and behold the face of God? The picture here comes from the animal world. Here we see a deer. A deer is looking for water in the riverbeds that are dried up. Now these dried up riverbeds in Palestine are called wadis. And whenever the hot, dry period comes, they dry up and the fountains dry up and there's no water. So here we have the picture of a deer. A deer who is between the rocks searching for water, thirsting for water, taunting for water, crying for water. Now, in the process of this psalmist, he sees this deer thirsting for water as his own case of, thirst, of thirsting for God. So he puts himself in the place of that deer as he thirsts for God. He thirsts for God with his whole heart. He longs to see the face of God. He is really in agony. And we know without a doubt that after a few days, people are going to die if they don't have any water. So what kind of thirst is it? Is it a thirst for some kind of God experience? It is. And yet, as this psalmist prays, nothing happens. Nothing happens. But the psalmist takes great comfort in the fact 
that his mere expression of his thirsting for God will result in God showing up and being present in his life again. This is what the psalmist keeps repeating to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Now Jesus picked up on all of this. And what did he say? He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now I want you to know that the hunger and thirst of this beatitude is not the hunger and thirst that can be satisfied by a mid-morning snack or an occasional coffee break. This is the kind of hunger that a person is going to die if he doesn't get food. It's the kind of thirst that a person is going to die if they don't get water. There's a story about a fellow that came to the Buddha, and he wanted to be shown the path of deliverance. So the Buddha asked him to go with him down to the water. The man assumed he was going to be participating in some kind of purification rite. But when they got down to the water, they went out in the water. And all of a sudden, without any warning, the Buddha grabbed the man and pushed his head down under the water. And he continued to hold him there. The man was gasping for breath, but the Buddha continued to hold him. Finally, by a wrenching of his last ounce of energy, he came up. And the Buddha quietly said, when you thought you were going to drown, what did you desire for most? And the man gasped, air, air. The Buddha said, when you want salvation as much as you want air, then you will receive it. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me see if I can share a couple of other things that will help us to understand. Do you know a strong appetite makes for an enjoyable meal? If we do not have an appetite, then the sight of food becomes nauseating. The same thing with education. If we have a longing, a thirst for education, then the search is going to be exciting. But if we have no search for education, the search is going to be an abomination. And the same thing, if we have a thirst and a hunger and a passion for God, chances are we're going to experience God. On the other hand, if we don't have it, it doesn't mean that God is not absent. It just means that God's seeming absence will grow stronger in our lives without this thirst and without this hunger and without this passion. East Andy Jones was one of the great people. He was called a Methodist missionary theologian. We admire him for many reasons, but one reason we admire him is because he was an artist of stillness, as Lynn Sweet said. Every morning he would get up, and the first hour of his day, every day, seven days a week, was spent at his listening post. He was listening to God's voice. And so we have the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and we gather to hear what God has to say to us concerning this earth and concerning our lives. So I want you to hear again from this second verse here. Listen, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? This was the thirst of the psalmist. Our sense of the absence of God may grow out of our lack of thirst. And then secondly, our sense of the absence of God may grow out of the fact that we don't pray, our failure to pray. It's no doubt this psalmist was experiencing the absence of God in his life. That's what this whole struggle is about that I've read to you and am talking to you about. Maybe a geographical and historical lesson will help us. Here we have this psalmist. He's at Mount Hermon, the foot of Mount Hermon, far north of Jerusalem. He's way away from the usual practices of the temple. But he begins to remember what happened in the temple. He would be with the pilgrims as they went into the worship services, the house of God. He would be with these pilgrims as they celebrated the excitement and 
shouted to God in victory, yet he's longing for this to happen to him now. The big trouble with this particular man now is he's away from everything familiar. He's away from Jerusalem, the temple, and the familiar people, and he's wondering how he can find God now. That's his question, the troublesome question he's facing at this moment. Relief? There is no relief until he takes this troublesome concern to God in prayer. Now listen again to this 8th verse from the 42nd chapter. He says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, now he's engaged in prayer. He's praying a prayer. You know, all of us face at times a very dryness in our spiritual life. At that time, we feel no desire to pray. We have no experience of God in our lives particularly. We're not interested in worship. But it's then that we need to remember the importance that is our feelings and thoughts are just that, feelings and thoughts. God goes much deeper than these feelings and thoughts. Now, it's wonderful to experience God, to feel God, and to know Him in our thoughts, and to be excited about the fact that we feel Him. But even when that doesn't happen to us, God is still there. God is greater than our feelings. I want you to listen to something that this particular scholar, Eugene Peterson, said. Feelings, he said, are remarkably unreliable guides to the state of your relationship with God and are indeed seldom very reliable as guides to the state of your relationship with others. He's saying that feelings are unreliable guides to the state of our relationship with God, and he's right. A wise physician said that whenever we pray, we are assuming three things. We are assuming God exists. We are assuming that God is capable of hearing our prayers. And we are assuming that God cares for our prayers. He says you cannot prove this or disprove it. You can only believe it or disbelieve it. That's what he says. But I want you to notice this psalmist believed it, and he trusted it, and he lived it. He believed it, and he prayed about it. And then Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual giant of a previous century. Henry Nouwen said that whenever we want to listen to God's voice, there are three forms of listening, and we must obey these three forms to really hear the voice of God. First of all, he says, listen to the church. Listen to the church. One of the greatest spiritual dangers of our day is the separation of Jesus from the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. The church is the body of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no church. Without the church, there is no intimate relationship with Jesus. Do you know anybody who has fallen away or has become closer to Jesus because he's fallen away from the church? Do you know anybody who's come closer to Jesus because he's fallen away from the church? I know of no one. So listen to the church. Secondly, listen to the Word. Here I'm talking about immersing ourselves in the Bible, not just reading it, but immersing ourselves in it, living with it. Not just the Bible, but I'm talking about books on spirituality and the great saints of the ages. But we read them not because we are interested in them. We read them because we want to hear them as a voice speaking to us. And then listen to your heart. The deepest kind of prayer is praying and listening to Jesus who lives deep down in our hearts. We need to understand that Jesus does not speak with a loud voice. So if we don't carefully listen, we'll never hear his voice. 
You know, listening to the voice of God is one of the most demanding, difficult things that any of us will ever experience. I'll tell you this, in my own life, if I didn't set aside a specific time in the mornings to listen to God's voice, this world's noise would drown it out. So what I'm saying to you and to me is we have to have a quiet time, a time when we get away from all the noises of the world, the noises of strife and everything else, and listen to the voice of God in our lives. Bill Hobbles, who is the pastor of Willow Creek near Chicago, said that he had a private phone line that came directly to his desk. It rang on his desk. And he said he gave the number to a few uh, business colleagues in case of emergency. He gave the number to his wife and to his children. He said he told his children they could call him any time for any reason. He said whenever his children call, the greatest words he ever heard were these, Hi, Dad. When his children would call, he would say, Call for any time, any reason. When they would call... He simply said he would make it a priority. He would drop everything else and listen to his children. It's the same way with God. When we come to God in prayer, we are God's priority. God listens to our prayers. And so let me say again, our sense of the absence of God may be due to the fact of our failure to pray. And then thirdly, our sense of the absence of God may be in fact the greatest token of his presence. Now our generations may keep disavowing the facts. And we may keep on talking about reality and security. But hear me now, in our generations, the search for God is own. The search for God is own. A minister was asked to come to a college campus to lead a religious emphasis week. When he got there, he asked the leaders, what should be the theme of this week? And they said, we feel a sense of unreality in our religious life. Please help us to find God real. Then there was a little boy that was taken to church, and he was told, this is the house of God. Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, he went to church. One Sunday, he finally asked, well, when is God going to move in? That little boy was speaking for many, many people. When is God going to move in? Listen to me. We can have a garage full of new cars. We can have an a house full of exotic antiques a library full of interesting books, a room full of smart boards. We could have an important job, but if you listen carefully, you'll hear an appalling sense of emptiness. So where is God? I read a book the other day that I had read in the past. It was written by Walter Russell Bowie. It was called Where You Find God. It really touched my soul, and I think it has something for you as well. So I would like to read you what he says, and I hope you'll listen carefully to what Walter Russell Bowie says in his book, Where You Find God. Each of us carries around inside or her side himself, I believe, a certain emptiness, a sense that something is missing, a restlessness, a deep feeling that somehow all is not right inside his or her skin. Psychologists sometimes call it anxiety, Theologians sometimes call it estrangement. But whatever you call it, I honestly doubt that anyone doesn't recognize the situation. Part of the inner world of every one of us is this sense of emptiness, unease, incompleteness. And I believe that this in itself is a word from God, that this is the sound God makes in a world that has explained him away. In such a world, 
I suspect that God speaks to us most clearly through God's silence, God's absence, God's withdrawal, so that we know God best through our missing Him. So where is God? In the hungers of men, women, and young people who are watching this telecast. Where is God? In the hungers of men, women, and young people, your hungers and my hungers, God hungers, born of a sense of futility, born out of a sense of frustration, born out of a sense of emptiness without Him. Do you know what I believe? I believe perhaps our emptiness is the surest sign of God's presence in our lives. Our emptiness is the surest sign of God's presence in our lives. I think Dr. Bowie has something when he says, we know God best through our missing Him. I think emptiness is the other side of God demanding to be our God. God is saying to us, I want to be your contemporary. I'm not just interested in being some sentiment to you out of the past. I want to be your contemporary today. We know Him best through our missing Him, our longing for Him. Rabbi Zacharias is an apologetic scholar. He was asked to come to the Orient by a businessman to meet with some diamond-collared executives. The man who asked him was one of the ten wealthiest people in the world. When it got there, Rabbi Zacharias asked this gentleman, How have you made a place for Jesus? This is what the man said. He said, Eighteen months ago, he said, I felt like I had everything, but I was so empty. I didn't know where to go or which way to turn. I knew I needed something. And then he said, God. The man shared this with his wife, and she joined him in the search. And shortly, they came to experience Christ in their lives. But I want you to notice this. Notice this carefully. No dramatics. No big crowds. Just emptiness and a small Bible study group. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and this time together. We are grateful for the psalmist, for his struggle to know you. And we are grateful, O oh God, what we can learn out of his struggle, and we can know you better. Help us, O oh God, to develop a deep thirst for you, a longing that leads us to pray to you, and an understanding that leads us to know that you are never absent, that you are present even in our longing and our emptiness. Hear our prayers. Bless all of these who are listening and watching this broadcast. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. I trust that you will share this time with other people and plan to be with us each and every week. I hope you have a good evening. Good night.